Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. I'm home from my jet-setting and happy to dive back in. And for the record, Iceland absolutely did not disappoint. It's a hauntingly gorgeous place, the sort of rugged, fantastical beauty that makes it easy to believe that deadly sea serpents and murderous mountain trolls are just as real as you and I. In addition to soaking in the endless natural wonders, we even managed to sneak in a little, finger quotes, urban exploration, picking our way through an old abandoned farmhouse, complete with a musty, unsettling attic full of creepy knickknacks, a knee-high pile of rotting sheep's horns, and what looked like some hiker's abandoned belongings. And of course, no exploration of an abandoned building is complete without the unexplained bangings and a large crash from the depths of the empty house as we were leaving. If I had one regret from the trip, 
it's missing the Icelandic Museum of Witchcraft and Sorcery, which, among other things, has an authentic pair of necropants. Think the perfectly preserved, peeled skin of a man from the waist down. Kind of like a pair of human leather jeggings, complete with dangly bits. But that's a pretty small regret. We covered an incredible amount of ground while we were there, and I'd go back in a heartbeat. With September upon us, our submissions are officially in full swing. And not just for haunted houses, either. Tales to Terrify is open for frightening fables of all flavors. Dark, disturbing tales to echo the chill that's begun to creep into the evening air. Our favorite spooky season isn't far off now, of course, and we'd love to get as many fresh terrors into the abattoir as possible. So channel the encroaching darkness and funnel it into some tales to send our way. TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions is your portal to the shadow realm of our submissions platform. This week, I'd like to extend our most ghastly gratitude to Peter Armstrong, the newest member of our twisted Patreon family. Thank you for lending your shadow to the darkness, Peter. Our blackened hearts ooze with appreciation. Patreon.com slash Tales to Terrify is where you can go if you'd like to slide behind the veil with us. We have one tale for you this evening, which comes to us from Danielle Ackley McPhail. Award-winning author, editor, and publisher, Danielle Ackley McPhail has worked both sides of the publishing industry for longer than she cares to admit. In 2014, she joined forces with husband Mike McPhail and friend Greg Schauer to form her own publishing house, eSpec Books. Her published works include seven novels, Yesterday's Dreams, Tomorrow's Memories, Today's Promise, The Halfling's Court, The Red Cap's Queen, Dare's Devils, and Baba Ali and the Clockwork Jinn, written with Day al-Muhammad. She is also the author of the solo collections Eternal Wanderings, A Legacy of Stars, Consigned to the Sea, Flash in the Can, Transcendence, Between Darkness and Light, and the non-fiction writer's guides The Literary Handyman, More Tips from the Literary Handyman, and L.H. Build a Book Workshop. She is the senior editor of the Badass Fairies anthology series Gaslight and Grimm, Side of Good slash Side of Evil, After Punk, and Footprints in the Stars. Her short stories are included in numerous other anthologies and collections. In addition to her literary acclaim, she crafts and sells original costume horns under the moniker The Horny Lady Custom Costume Horns, and homemade flavor-infused candied ginger under the brand of Ginger Kick at literary conventions on commission, and wholesale. Danielle lives in New Jersey with her husband and fellow writer Mike McPhail and four extremely spoiled cats. Children of the Night, join me for Danielle Ackley McPhail's Purgatory, first published in Hear Them Roar by Wilder Publication, 2006. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Purgatory is when something inside of you is certain you've been damned. Hell is when it's right. Heat. Suffocating heat. I cannot breathe. My chest heaves and my hands claw frantically. I am burning up and I cannot fight free. Visions of fire crowd my panic-stricken mind. Vibrant flames paint the darkness behind my eyes while the stench of burning human hair weaves past my nostrils. I feel the whimper before I hear the muffled scream. It takes a moment to realize both come from me. Harsher shrieks of laughter slam into me and disperse the panic that keeps me trapped in my nightmare. I know that chorus, intimately. Rage displaces my fear. I buck and thrash. My clawing hands curl into equally impotent fists. The blankets swaddle me, trapping my hands by my side. What little breath I have is forced from my chest. My mouth gapes, but draws in only foul cotton rather than dank air. I go still and taut. Struggling only binds me tighter. Atop the thin cover, a weight pins me to the bed. That weight, in turn, holds a pillow across my face. I twist in my involuntary cocoon, my body in one direction and my face the other. I manage an insufficient breath. One final massive heave and I dump the night hag to the floor. The blanket tears from where she has tucked it beneath the cot. The already frayed edges shred as I scramble from the tangle and plant my back against the corner wall, 
The chill creeps through my thin shirt and into my bones. Will alone suppresses the shivers traveling up my spine. Malice hisses from the narrow strip of floor. I hear the scrape of claws upon concrete as the hag writes herself. I brace for attack, my muscles taut and ready, my chin lowering. My vision adjusts to the meager light from the corridor outside my cell. At least enough to see the form crouched on the floor, faintly striped by bars of low light and shadow. The binding runes scribed about her neck, the ones that bind her to her cell, have been blurred, the surrounding flesh blistered. Someone has given the hag a brief reprieve, allowing her out to play. For a while, anyway. The lines of the symbols are starting to sharpen once more. Soon the compulsion written into her flesh will repair itself and force her to return to her confinement. My attention goes back to the familiar features of the one on the floor. One cat-like eye stares out from a lined face, just above a jaw outthrust and vaguely leonine. The other eye is lost in a marbling of scar tissue that obscures half the hag's face and leaves wide furrows to wrap around her head and through her scraggly yellow hair. I snarl and visualize my fingers making those wounds bleed again. I can see in my mind's eye, my nails leaving fresh marks across that hideous face. My anger demands her other eye. But that is wrong. My anger does not rule me. This treachery gains you nothing, Kala. I growl, keeping my voice low as not to draw the attention of the guards. You'll still be dog's body to all the others. Kala hisses at the double insult. This is a test. I am new on the block, and my rebellion is a constant challenge. I am not as ruthless, as vicious as the others. Just stronger. Smarter. And luckier, perhaps. Definitely more determined. So far, I refuse to be buried beneath the coils of the prison hierarchy. I do not challenge, but neither do I bow down. No one much likes that. Too bad. The sound from the corridor ends the stalemate. The thud of heavy footsteps on concrete draws closer. The hag shrinks in upon herself. She becomes more cat-like in size and posture and slides out between the bars of my cell. The guard stomps by just moments later, intent on something other than me. He doesn't yell, so he hasn't noticed Kala either. Where is he headed, then? What mischief is about? Had Kala been meant to make me a diversion? If so, whoever had helped her blur the runes will be furious. I unfold myself from the corner and creep nearer the bars. More guards hurry past in the direction of the first. The phantom scent of singed hair grows stronger. Not a part of the nightmare, then. In a cell nearby, someone has burned. My hands clench, and I swallow hard. I press close to the bars, in an effort to see what I can of the block. Most of it is beyond my view. The cells I can see are steeped in darkness, the corridors hardly brighter. I catch furtive shifting in the shadows and know no one sleeps. They wait and watch. I catch the barest hint of an orange flicker reflecting off the gray cinder block walls to my left. 
the smell of burning flesh intensifies. Two cells down, there is a whoosh, followed by a roar. The sullen, smoldering glow flares with an infernal intensity. I flinch away and release the bars of my cell, half expecting them to burn me. I hear the laughter of the guards and fall back further into the shadow. Another flamer. It's almost getting boring. Oh, right, one gravelly voice grumbles. That's why you're the first to claim your spot in the pool, yeah? You're just chapped because he always takes the one you have your eye on, another guard laughs, and mostly wins. But what I want to know, the first guard says, ignoring the jab, is what happened to the variety? What do you expect? Once they give up hope, it's over. And they all pretty much believe in the same version these days, however much they believe at all. Enough already. Hearing this last voice, I slip back under the thin covers and turn toward the wall. The voice belongs to Serb, the guard in charge of the night shift. I lay there in the dark and strain my ears, hoping to hear the voices recede down the corridor. Instead, the footsteps stop outside my cell. I grip my teeth and fight for stillness, for the illusion of sleep. It is no good. Rouse a cleanup crew! Starting with this one, seeing as she's awake. Serb orders before she disappears down the corridor. I flinch. My cell opens with a grate of metal on stone. I roll to a sitting position as the bars clang against the end of their track. Before the guards can enter the cell to rouse me, I am at the entrance waiting for my instruction, my face impassive. I know better than to give them cause to dispense worse treatment than they will already. The guards are massive, three times the breadth and height of a mortal man, though only twice the size of me. Even so, I keep my gaze averted, vague. I reserve my defiance for my fellow damned and leave the devils alone. As I stand there, the guard closest to me reaches out an enormous, thick-skinned hand. His flesh is the charcoal color that falls between a normal gray and true black. An obsidian claw tips each finger. All but one curls under. The one extended bites into the flesh at my neck and carves a caveat into my binding runes. The wound burns as if the claw tip is salt-coated. My pained hiss brings satisfying grins to the guards' faces. I fight to keep my lip from lifting in an answering snarl. Instead, I look down at the trickle of deep crimson drawn from my bruised black skin and mentally dub this guard Charclaw. After all, names have power, even those given by another. Follow me, Charclaw rumbles. His gaze is flat and hard. Clearly, he hopes I will not comply. I am not stupid or suicidal, for that matter. I follow him to the cell too down from my own. The other guards break away, each heading for separate cells. A shifting in the shadows tells me those are occupied. The one in front of me is void of movement. No, not empty, though. Past the bars, I see the sullen glow of embers in the process of dying. I swallow hard. Charclaw mutters something, and a dull light fills the cell. The bars rattle open, but I go no closer. Nor will I until I am ordered. Before the other guards return with the rest of the detail, 
I force myself to stare at the ashen outline of a body delineated on the unmarred cot. The term blast shadow comes to mind. Only this has substance. I clamp down on the urge to retch. I can already feel the fine, clinging motes coating my skin. My throat clogs with the ash that has yet to fill the air. I grit my teeth and force the phantom sensations away. I must impose control before I begin to feel my flesh crisp and end up screaming my weakness to my adversaries. The clang of cells opening sounds behind me. A sharp-drawn breath follows shortly, chased by the guard's mocking laughter. Someone has not borne the marking well. I feel the hard, discouraging expression I have cultivated around the other inmates automatically settle into place as they approach. My transformation does not go unnoticed. Several feet away, Charclaw smirks and flexes the finger with which he had marked me. Fresh agony spears from the gash. I set my teeth against making a sound, then hold my breath and wait out the pain. He seems mildly amused at the neutral gaze I turn to him. There is a taut moment between us. Then one of my fellow inmates mutters petulantly from inside the cell. All of us? For this? It is Kala. Kala is an idiot. Charclaw looks away from me. The pain from my wound instantly fades to a dull ache, but I do not relax. My eyes remain trained upon the guard and his expression. Yes, Kala is definitely an idiot. He takes one step forward. The hag instinctively cringes down, cowering by the cot. Charclaw sneers and his long arm snaps forward and angles up. The talons rake Kala across her withered chest. Blood sprays the walls of the cell and flicks upon all of us outside, a warm, salty sprinkle that burns like acid. Kala shrieks and crumbles to the floor, whimpering at the further ruin of her body, trembling in shock. I wait for the light to die in her eyes, but they continue to smolder as blood pools about her on the floor. The guard's hand lashes out again, and Kala's hatred flees, replaced by terror. She collapses upon herself, a small shaking mound huddling on the floor. A high-pitched keen fills the cell. Charclaw laughs as he snags the sheet from the cot, sending the ashes billowing into the air. That should be enough to keep all of you occupied. He sneers as he thrusts the sheet toward the inmate behind me. Bind her wounds with that and get to work. You, he snaps with a look in my direction. Fetch the cleaning supplies. I gladly back away, turning at the last minute, waiting to feel his claws score my flesh once more. The blow does not come. My head jerks back as if it had, though, upon seeing who else makes up the detail. I do not recognize the slight figure tucked back among the shadows, but the other, her I know all too well. The guards have roused death, the self-proclaimed ruler of the block. Her fists clench on the sheet Charclaw had thrust at her. Her small, poison-yellow eyes snap from Kala to me as I head for the closet at the end of the corridor, where the mops and rags and cleaners are locked away. I can feel her displeasure twine around my limbs, dragging down upon me in a constant effort to subdue, to make me subservient. 
I flex those muscles and release my grip on the rage flowing through me. The threads of her will burn away, and I hear her furious hiss. I do not look back. I start down the corridor, one of the other guards shadowing me, treading close enough to catch my heels at every step. This one is Charclaw's double in all but the color of his skin, which is purplish-red, like a blood-engorged cock. That, and his attitude, earns him the name The Dick. His breath is hot and heavy on my neck. I clench my teeth and force myself not to whirl on him like a cornered wolverine. I stop facing the closet, just to the side so he can unlock it. My shadow continues forward until I find myself pinned to the wall. I buck and snarl the instant I feel trapped. His hand snakes around to crush my breast in a brutal grope, and he moans into my ear. Oh yeah, that's right. I love it that you fight. Then the dick earns his name even more as he laughs and presses his groin tight against my ass. Only threadbare fabric shields me. I go still, but for a faint trembling I cannot control. My jaw clenches tight against many curses as I struggle to distance myself inside, because there is no hope of doing so physically. The guard laughs again, his tongue flicking out across my cheek. Thick and sinuous, it strafes my flesh until it stings. You had a little something there. A bit sour, but then it wasn't yours, was it? A pity, that. I jerk in disgust as I realize he has licked callous, spattered blood from my skin. His tongue slides over me again, dipping into my ears suggestively. I cannot hold back my shudder. He moans in appreciation and grinds his crotch against me harder, as if he would impale me through our clothes. He reaches around with his other hand to grab me harshly between my thighs. Even the trembling stops. I go tense and wooden, waiting for the pain. Hey! Charclaw calls from the corridor. She's out to clean up, not play. This is already going to take too long thanks to this one here. There is a thump, and Callum moans. You want to be the one explaining to Serb why this is taking all night? Ah, man, come on. This one fights it so good. Just a little. You can even watch. I force myself not to fight him. It will only goad him on, encourage him to disregard Charclaw's order. The other guard is silent. All I can hear is the heavy panting of the dick behind me and Callus' continual whimpering. How ironic that earlier she tried to kill me only to be my possible salvation now. I hold myself so rigid I feel like stone. No movement but my steady, controlled breaths as I wait for Charclaw's judgment. Don't care what you do after orders are carried out, but for now, quit screwing around. The dick lets out a deep chuckle and grinds himself harder against me, grinding until even my bones threaten to give beneath his thrust. Soon, then. Soon I'll do that lovely ass right. His hand sweeps up away from my breast to brush across my cheek in a deceptively gentle caress that ends in a flick from his razor-edged claw. My head rings with his moan as his tongue flickers out to catch the trail of fresh blood. I swallow hard, 
fighting revulsion and rage in equal measure. Mmm, he murmurs once more for my ear alone. Now that is sweet. Can't wait to try out the rest. My breath comes fast and shallow. I shudder ever so slightly. It has nothing to do with fear. I struggle not to lash out. The dick finally unlocks the closet and I gather the necessary supplies. My expression blank and my eyes lowered. The other guards and inmates watch as the two of us make our way back to the cell. The odor of blood and ash assails me from two cells down. I close my mind to the stench and tell myself no dust clogs my throat. Death grabs for the thick-handled broom the moment I draw close. I tighten my grip on the mop and thrust the bucket and rags to the unfamiliar inmate, ignoring Kala, who is useless even without injuries. Here, we'll need water. The other inmate looks at me with a gaze as dark and deep as forever, but does not take the supplies I hold out to her. Her expression bears no malice, no defiance I can see, only surprise. I give her the eye. Where does she come from? I know every inmate here like I know my own face. She is a stranger, unfamiliar. Her pale skin seems to glow like something pure and good against the backdrop of the hellhole surrounding us. She seems distinctly out of place. Of course, I have learned that a pleasant package on the outside is just as likely to hide a rotten core. Hard to say if that is the case here. There's something else off about her, though, that I cannot pinpoint. I try, but she speaks, and her words distract me. They sound far off, as if she's not even here. Hasn't this gone on long enough? My lip curls. As innocent as she sounds, apparently this pale, insubstantial wraith thinks she's going to mess with me, and I will just take it. She reminds me of my brother, Payne. The features are different, obviously, but the attitude is the same. Of course, my brother is dead. Because of me. Because I failed to protect him. Because I'd been angry over one of his mind games. I'd had to watch as he burned. I do not like the reminder. Just take the friggin' bucket and fill it with water, I snarl. They tagged you for this detail, and you'll pull your weight like the rest of us. She ignores my words. Aren't you ready to come home? Oh, yeah, right. I spit at her, rattling the bucket with a hard shake. What are you, my conscience? Water! Now! Behind me, I hear death laugh followed by two warm, wet streams drenching the back of my hand and pelting the wooden sides of the bucket. I give the wraith a black look as the bottom of the container fills with rancid piss. Charclaw and the dick burst out laughing as they shake the final drops off their cocks and slip them back into their pants. Now fill it up right before we finish filling it for you. I shoot a brutal look toward the wraith, silently promising retribution as I never have before. I am shoved from behind, hard enough to slap the contents of the bucket down my legs. It is getting harder to keep silent. 
and harder still not to whirl upon my persecutors. Now, Charclaw roars, before I change my mind about letting my buddy here play first. I move in tight, angry steps toward the crude basin set in the cell wall. It serves double duty as both sink and squatter. I lean the mop against the wall and dump the piss down the bowl, sloshing in some soap, then refilling the bucket with hard, rusty water. The soap fizzes, leaving a thin, scuzzy film across the surface. Like the shithole will ever be clean anyway. We're on this detail just to add to the hell of our existence. I turn and death is behind me, mucking up my mop, swirling it in the splotches of blood and ash. The patterns that form are disturbing, but not as disturbing as the look on her face. Talk about malice. She strokes the handle of the mop suggestively and looks me up and down. Her lip curls in a sneer and her tongue flicks along the edge of her teeth. You think you're better than all of us, don't you? Don't you believe it, slut? Death hisses, her mottled skin rippling as she gets up in my face. You'll lift your ass for him. Just like the rest, you'll take it. And whether you fight or not, you're giving him what he wants. He's going to teach you your place. And when he's done, I'm going to remind you what it is every chance I get. She strokes the handle once more ending the motion a foot down the length. The look in her eyes goes bright and lethal as she flexes her powerful wrist. The wood snaps, and she slides the short piece into her pants, never taking her eyes off mine. She pats where it lays along her inner thigh, and then reaches out as if to stroke my cheek. I jerk back with a snarl. Death just laughs and rubs the bulge again. This here's for you. You think about that. Think about it a lot, sweetheart. You weren't smart enough to drop dead. So now you're going to be my bitch after he's had his fun. She lets go of the mop, which falls against my chest. Reflexively, I grab it before the guards notice, covering the splintered end with my fist. Death laughs again and takes up her unblemished broom, turning her back on me as if I am no threat. I struggle not to leap forward and show her how wrong she is. My hand crushes the remaining mop handle until the sound of grinding wood fills the cell. Five minutes. Five minutes alone together, and death will never again haunt me. I fight the urge. My gaze drifts across the blood spatters and ash. It travels fleetingly over the guards, bullshitting outside the cell, I will not bring myself down to this. I refuse to let them twist me into something vicious and brutal. A few deep breaths, and the application of much willpower disperses the tide of fury threatening to overwhelm me. The dick never does get to play. By the time we mop up the blood and ash, restoring the cell to its former lackluster state, Serb returns. What's taking so long? She rumbles. I stand silently in the back. My hand hides the damaged mop handle from her view. I watch without staring as her dark ebony eyes scan the restored, 
uniform gray of worn stone, dingy mattress, and iron bars. Her hard gaze sharpens as it draws down once more on where we stand, coming to rest upon Charclaw. I try to read the expression in her flat, muscular face, looking for a clue in the widening jaw that gives the scarred the unreadable look of a pit bull. All I can be sure of is I do not want her attention focused on me. I get the impression from the tick in Charclaw's jaw that he shares my sentiment. The crew took some persuading. Well, they've persuaded themselves out of their morning meal. Breakfast hour is over. Get them down to the yard. Silently, I gather the cleaning supplies, hiding the broken handle behind the bristles of the upturned broom. With my arms unavoidably laden, I fall in behind the guards as they lead us from the cell. Death follows close behind me. It takes an effort to not clench my jaw as my neck bristles in reaction to the enemy at my back. I slow as we near the supply closet, waiting for the dick to open it once more. My nemesis closes the distance. She comes to a halt right behind me, with not a breath of space between us. The hard bulge of the broken-off handle nestles along my ass. She starts to roll her hips in clear mimicry of the dick's earlier assault. With a fierce scream, I arch away from her and spin around, my fist slamming into her jaw before I can even think. The first crunch is satisfying. The second, agony. I roll my head back carefully and look up from the crumpled mound I have become on the corridor floor. The blow had hit hard and fast out of nowhere. I turn empty eyes toward death, skimming over her like she is nothing, and settle my gaze on Serb's cudgel. So that is what hurt like a motherfucker. Seems you make a habit of defacing prison property. Her tone is cold and intractable. Her eyes glide to the side. I look in the same direction and see the mop, fully visible at death's feet, and shake my head, more to clear it than in denial. Whack! Another smack from the cudgel and my jaw becomes a conduit for the electric fire shooting down my spine. A hand locks on my collar and yanks my head up until I stare death in the face. Her expression is filled with contrived pain, its falseness betrayed by the glimmer of satisfaction lurking in the far depths of her eyes. Every inmate in this place is prison property. Serb rumbles low and menacing, like the precursor to a landslide. You do not damage the goods, understood? My gaze flickers from the thin tendril of blood snaking down Death's jaw to the blood-soaked sheet wrapping Kala's chest. I can feel more than a trickle trailing down my neck. Apparently the guards can break their own toys, but heaven help anyone else that even scuffs them. I clench my jaw and fight down my fury, internalizing the infernal burn. Letting it show would be like placing a weapon in Death's hand, or begging Serb to strike me down again. Neither bitch needs any help from me. Understood? The cudgel unsubtly rose. Yes. Put this shit away and get down to the yard, Serb orders as she nudges the fallen supplies. Her eyes linger a moment on the ragged end of the mop handle, 
but she says nothing more. The yard. I hate it. The yard is where death and her rivals hold court. Death rules her block ruthlessly and against any opposition, as did the others. They have to or they will be pulled down. That's why I piss death off. I never really challenge her. I merely decline to play prison politics. For that very reason, I stand in the way of her supreme rule. Tough shit. As I enter the yard, two things catch my eye. Death holding court over by the far wall, and the wraith lurking by the prison door, closely watching everything going on. What I'm about to do breaks a taboo, but I do not much care to be polite at the moment. I stalk over to the wraith and bring my face down to hers. Welcome to hell. What did you do to end up here? This isn't hell. She answers softly, ignoring my antagonism. It's purgatory. Don't let them tell you any different because you aren't Dan. Yet. You just think you are. The look she gives me is intent. Her eyes shimmer with purity and compassion, neither of which I buy, and her lips draw down ever so slightly in a frown. You balance on the edge. That's why they push you so hard. A harsh bark of laughter slips past my lips. Well, isn't that a nice and delusional analogy? Next thing you know, you'll be telling me everything is really sunshine and posies, and this is a bad dream. With a sneer tugging at my mouth, I turn my back on her and make my way to the far corner, away from death and away from the wraith and as alone as I can be in a crowded prison yard. I wipe my face of expression and settle back to watch the show. No doubt there will be one, there always is of some sort or another. Posturing and power plays abound. I might not participate, but I would be a fool to ignore the subtle shifts going on around me. The crowd around death is thick this day. They hover like crows outside a slaughterhouse. Some shift closer, craning their necks in rapt and eager fascination. Others stand taut and still, their eyes darting uneasily away and back again, as if they watch in spite of themselves. The murmurs of the crowd reach me clear across the courtyard. The sound of something hard repeatedly slamming something soft follows, entwining with pained gasps that fall away to whimpers. My head goes up and my shoulders tense. With each hit, the wounds gained by Serb's hand throb in sympathy. My flaring nostrils draw the tang of copper from the air until I taste it on my tongue. I cannot see it for myself, but blood is being drawn, spattering in the dust of the yard, clotting the air. Shrieks rise high, familiar shrieks. Kala, paying for her failure, Paying for her stupidity with the guards. Paying for each breath I continue to draw and the rape I have so far escaped. My jaw grinds with a sound like rock crushing rock. Tension sings through my limbs and I find myself stepping away from the wall. Kala suffers because of me. She might very well die in the dust surrounded by the ghouls watching on. I have been here before, faced with this conflict. I take a step forward as guilt again twists my gut. 
No, she tried to kill me last night. She will try again if she survives death's beating. So what if she has, for now, saved me from the dick? That was through her own stupidity rather than any purposeful effort on her part. I force myself to relax. To remain where I am. I owe Callan nothing. I tell myself that over and over. Yet what I hear are the wraith's words drifting through my thoughts, like mist rising from the moist ground. You aren't damned. Yet. Not yet. I try to remind myself she is delusional. Like I have any reason to believe her. Knowing my own sins, belief is nearly impossible. But believe her or not, and no matter my offenses in the past, I'm not like the others. I defend myself against the bullies. I do not strike down those who are weaker. Nor do I have it in me to stand by while others do so. My determined stride carries me forward. I've pretended it is not so, but all along I've let death rule my actions, just like she does all the others. With a menacing growl rumbling in my throat, I push my way through the crowd. I'm hardly aware as they close ranks behind me. The scene at the center of the makeshift arena holds all of my attention. Death stands, with legs spread wide and arm raised, the length of mop handle fisted in her hand ready to backhand Kala. I cannot suppress my gasp. My body clenches, taut with tension. Kala lies like a puddle on the ground, more pulp than person. Only the sound of her whistling breath betrays the fact that she's still alive. Great. Another one who reminds me of pain. Enough! Guilt and anger crackle in my voice. Death lowers her improvised cudgel. The crowd falls silent. Looks like I'm the one who gets the pleasure of teaching you your place after all. She slides toward me and strikes lightning fast. I block the blow with one arm and slam my other fist into her jaw. Our audience gasps and I allow contempt to flow across my expression. You teach me what not to be. Nothing more. I move across the clearing, placing myself between her and Kala. Inmates from all over the yard start drifting closer to join those from our block. The leaders push to the fore, with those they rule gathering behind. Tension crackles through the crowd as everyone waits for the balance of power to shift. I know better. The power does not shift. The focus does. Some of Death's people creep forward and I tense. I can take a few of them at once, but not the entire block. Those that rule the other blocks clear their throats and move as one to intervene. I have not been here long, but certainly long enough to know they view this as a challenge, and if death cannot hold her power against me alone, the others will not allow her to hold it with the help of her subjects. I curse Kala silently. I want no part of the power plays that drive prison society, but now I have no choice. I should have ignored death's punishment circle. But no matter how treacherous Kala is, she does not deserve such brutality. Death, obviously, disagrees. My adversary launches herself across the distance separating us. 
The rounded end of the stick slams into my gut before I can move. I ignore the pain and grab Death's wrist, twisting it hard. She shrieks. Her eyes glow with hatred as she strikes at me with her other fist. I laugh and shove her away. She rages and the crowd shifts. Death spits at me. Where she strikes bare skin, my arm burns. The muscles beneath tingle until all sensation deadens. I curse and scrub the spot against the tail of my shirt. She makes to spit again, and I backhand her. An angry hiss splits the air, and Death launches a physical attack, engaging everything from fists and improvised cudgel to her powerful legs. I evade what I can and bear the blows that strike with an empty expression, giving her nothing. She makes to pummel my face with the wooden cudgel. I pull back only to gasp with shock. A ribbon of agony slices down my cheek. Burning drops fall from my jaw, and the smell of fresh blood floods my senses. I roar and lunge at her. Sheer mass on my side, I bear her to the ground. My fists slam into her repeatedly before I tear the mop handle from her grasp. The other end has been worked to a vicious point. I growl, and my grip flexes on the length of wood. My nerves are taut, and my ears catch sounds of movement around me. Pinning death to the ground with one massive hand wrapped around her throat and the weight of my body crushed against her torso, I turn my head to gauge the secondary threat. Our clearing has grown smaller. I give the crowd a quelling look. Let them see the menace swirling beneath my skin. A wave of unease sweeps through them. I take in the nervous shifting, stare down a few baleful glares. I turn my gaze back toward death. Kala is off limits. You've punished her enough. Death chuckles low and evil. Triumph lights her eyes and her thin, hard lips tweak in a dismissive smirk. You think so, do you? Behind me a sick, muffled thud sounds. It is followed by a crunch and by cruel laughter. I twist around my hand tightening reflexively upon Death's throat. Her henchmen have crept in to carry out her bidding while my attention has been on their leader. My eyes lock on Kala's slack face, her lifeless eye. Blood trails down her chin from the corner of her mouth. Payne's face superimposes itself over the macabre sight, like a phantom floating in my mind's eye, damning me. I scream and gnash my teeth. Rage trembles through my limbs and hope flees before it. I am finally damned in truth. I have failed once more to protect. It has never been my strong suit. But vengeance. I am real good at vengeance. I loosen my grip on the makeshift cudgel until the blunt end is in my palm and the sharpened end is clear. Intent fills my eyes. Anger, rage, Vengeance. Malice. I allow all of that to flow through me until my raised arm vibrates with their dark power. Down it plunges, buried all the way to the blunt end in my nemesis's chest. Blood pools around my fingers, searing them. The tingling burn travels up my arm and straight to my heart, where all sensation dies. I stand. Taking up my new mantle, I turn damned eyes upon my new subjects.
I am death. Bow down before me. That was Danielle Ackley McPhail's Purgatory, as read by Amy Pownessa. Amy Pownessa has been the producer and host of The Bloodlust, a horror movie review podcast, since 2014. She has narrated stories for various other podcasts, including Knife Point Horror and The Alexandria Archives. She's thrilled to read for Tales to Terrify, especially because she credits the podcast with reigniting her love of horror fiction. You can contact Amy through her website, thebloodlust.net. Thank you, Amy. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now, Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review you'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we call forth the creature in the well with more Tales to Terrify.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.